Steve Balton, you're here on My Turning Point with special guest Wolfgang Van Halen, who's just released his debut album as Mammoth Wolfgang Van Halen. And this is a really fun conversation. I really enjoy talking to him. Second time I've spoken to him in a few months. And, you know, for a guy who has been in Van Halen, for a guy who is about to open for Guns N' Roses, remarkably humble and low-key dude. You'll see why I like him so much when you tune in yourself. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did with special guest Wolfgang Van Halen. All good, man. What's going on? Technological shit or what? Yeah, yeah. Computer's just... Uh, I, I think I need to update it. That's on it. Dude, we all deal with it, so it's all good. <laughs> Besides the technology stuff, how's it going today? Yeah, it's going all right. It's... uh, Yeah. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, dude. It's good to talk again. It's been a couple months now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's been an interesting time. I mean, it's funny because you know, when you look at the context of doing the last interview versus this one, the world is so fucking different. <laughs> That's actually the big thing. Like it's been so weird to be able to do interviews where now all of a sudden when I'm talking with people and you actually have a proper tour announced. Yeah. But you know, because I did so many interviews during the pandemic where everything was in the hypothetical of like, oh, hey, you know, when you can actually play live again. And now that there's live music and you have a tour announced, it's like we can actually discuss, you know, what songs from the album you are most excited to play live and what it's going to be like being on stage and, you know, not just being on stage, but being in sta- on stage in front of like 40, 50,000, 60,000 people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. So does it even feel real to you yet? Nah, I don't think it would feel real to me if this whole COVID thing had ever had not even happened. Like it's it's already not feeling real, but then the fact that everything's slowly returning, uh, it's crazy. Well, it's an interesting position because obviously this is the debut album, and you're going to be playing for sixty thousand people. <laughs> but what's unique about it is that's not new to you. <laughs> So you're in a very unique position of like, for a lot of people, it would be overwhelming to you. It's like, okay, well, shit, I've already been on stage in front of, you know, stadiums and arenas full of people. Yeah, it's, it's still overwhelming. No, I don't think you can ever, I think if you get used to that, you, you're an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. And it's interesting too, because obviously this is such a different format because when you're touring with Van Halen, you're part of the group. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're opening for Guns N' Roses, this is your deal. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. Uh, it doesn't feel, I feel uh, like brand new. It's unlike everything, anything I've ever done before. So it's, uh, it feels brand new. Now, have you hung out with the GNR guys at all? I've known Slash uh, for, for years and uh, I've met Duff a couple of times, but that's it. Yeah, they're awesome dudes. Yeah. Oh, they're great. So how did this one come together? Do you know, like, was it something that just came about like very quickly or was it, yeah, you know, cause it's kind of came up quickly and, and they were, you know, they all were really interested after they heard uh, the music and uh, it just kind of worked out perfectly with, you know, our album just coming out and they were going out and it all just kind of worked like a dream. 
All right. So I alluded to this, but now, and we'll come on to the actual songs in a second and also a turning point moment for you, but I am so curious because we just kind of jumped in with this. Are there songs from the album that you are particularly excited to do live now in front of an audience and get them out? Because, you know, the other thing too is when you do a song live, right? It Mm -hmm. changes. Oh yeah. It morphs and the audience makes a song their own. Yeah, for sure. I think songs like, like feel will be really fun live because there's the opportunity to, to, uh, uh, you know, mess around more in, in, in the bridge and stuff. And, uh, but then, you know, to, to even just play songs that people haven't even heard yet. Uh, I mean, that they will when the album comes out, but stuff like Stone, I think would be a fun thing to try live because it's a bit longer, but I'm just excited in general. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting too, because I, I like the fact, well, all right, well, you know what? We're going to backtrack for a second. Is there one moment for you that you look at that sort of brought you here today and there's no right or wrong? I think just being born <laughs> just kind of like all these expectations are on me just being who I am and being the son of, of who I am of that. It's like the expectations are there already before I even have a chance to decide. <laughs> and, uh, I, it just kind of s- snowballed into this direction, I guess, since then. Well, that's so interesting, though, because it's funny. I talk about this with artists all the time, too. And at points over the course of a long career, like Adam Duritz and I were just talking about this because 30 years into Counting Crows, Mm -hmm. you also have to recommit to music all the time. You have to decide because for a lot of musicians, you started off when you're kids, you know, and it's something that you want to do. Like Adam was telling me the story of first writing songs in college and realizing he was a songwriter. But what you, of course, want to do when you're in college doesn't always translate or mean shit when it comes to being an adult and especially in his case being you know 30 years older so it's funny for you then through this journey have there been moments where as you say you know the expectations of being the son of who you are but at the same time you know you still have to decide that this is what you want to do for you Mm -hmm. yeah and i i just think everything i've ever been a part of and you know just i'm i'm happiest when i get to make music and play music. So it just seems like the logical thing to do because it makes me happy. So it's interesting for you, as you were making this record, were there those moments then that you, well, okay, wait, I read the Washington Post speech, which was a great piece, but it looked like then the record's actually been done for some time, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been done since uh, mid-2018. Okay, see, that's always interesting to me as well because when you go back to it now, and obviously, unfortunately, as we've talked about, you've had so many changes in your life good and bad since, you know, then does the record change for you when you go back and listen to it as you now get prepared to play it live and take it out in front of an audience and you go back and revisit it? Are there songs on there that have really changed for you or that you hear in a different way? They haven't changed like a a, a crazy amount. I think it's just when I, you know, we've released six songs already. And I think when the songs are released, I, I hear them differently. I hear them in as it's almost like my brain kind of recalibrates and I hear it, how people hear it for the first time and what people might focus on. And I, I start to just be overly critical like I always am. <laughs> but uh, Maybe that's every artist in the world. Every artist is a perfectionist. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So, I, you know, I suck with timing. So what was the most recent release? It was Don't Back Down or? Um, Mammoth. 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 Okay. So it's interesting. And let's take that one as an example because it was most recent. How did that change for you once it came out and people started to hear it? Uh, it was one where the lyrics were very important to me and to see it uh, 
resonate with a bunch of people uh, in ways I didn't even expect uh, was was really nice. It was it's really nice to see people kind of uh, get my messaging and, and and understand what I'm about with my with my music. It's really cool to see. Well, that's interesting though that you say that because it's funny, wow. Jock. Hold on. My own technical problem here for a second. You're good, dude. But it's funny. So when you say people get the message, that's another interesting thing though, is when people hear the messaging and you're very active on social media. So you interact with people for good and bad as well, you know, but it's interesting. So when you get to hear those, like I remember talking about it with Matt Berenger from the national and I fucking love that band. And we were talking about, you know, the idea of a, a website called song meetings. And he's like, that's actually really scary. Yeah. But at the same time, when people do get it, so have there been interpretations then of Mammoth or of other songs that have actually surprised you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, even just showing like friends and stuff or like showing, I remember I showed my mom one of the songs uh, that I don't think, it's not even on the album, but she like, she's like, oh, that's so sweet. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she she just like completely misunderstood the lyrics and I had to like explain <laughs> to her. But, uh, but, but yeah, I think... Uh, but the, but that's the fun of it, you know. I, I write my lyrics from uh, in a way that I think anybody can can insert themselves into it and take their own meaning from it, uh, even if they do come from a very personal place for me. Because uh, I just think it's more, uh, I don't know, open ended that way. I I like it like that. No, I agree, and I think that's what makes great songwriting is you can write the most personal song in the world, but someone has to be able to take it and make it. You know, obviously, when John Lennon writes "In My Life." He's writing about someone specific at that moment. For 65, my guess is it would have been Cynthia Lennon, you know, but at the same time, what happens is then everybody hears it and they think of that person that's in their life. So it's fine for you when you think about this. Who are a couple of the songwriters that, you know, as you go back and look at your lyrics that you see maybe a little bit of influence or ones that you really admire for that ability to be able to take the most personal subject in the world and turn it into something totally universal? Yeah, I think uh, a band like that that was really important to me was Jimmy Eat World because they 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 write a lot of music that just really spoke to me in 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 important times in my life. Um, yet I know they have to come from like a personal place. Um, so I guess that was definitely an inspiration for for things like that. I just always appreciated songwriting like that. You know, I I tend to shy more away when a song is like directly about something. <laughs> rather than kind of like open for you to, you know, insert yourself into it. Well, it's interesting that for you, as you go back and, and again, I kind of, you know, refer to this, but it's, it's interesting to, you know, cause I talk about this with artists all the time as well. Right. And Nick Cave put it best. Nick Cave was talking about the fact that when you write a song, he said, he's always, cause I've talked to so many artists about the fact that songs become prophetic, you know, and as he described it, you write what it is you're longing for. And that's why a song becomes prophetic. So when you go back and revisit these songs, that's what I was kind of getting at with change. But are there things also, maybe they haven't changed specifically, but also things that surprise you? Because the other thing too, good writing is subconscious. Good writing almost does its, you know, writes itself. And then you come back and look at it and you're like, oh shit, I didn't even know I was thinking that. Oh yeah, that's happened plenty of times. I think uh, there, there are certain lines where it's like, that's pretty good. And they're like, wait, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I really wrote that? You know, like, it's just uh, certain moments like that where it's like, wow, what was I thinking? <laughs> I need to think like that more. Uh, well, of course, you know, it's funny. I was just interviewing uh, Robbie Krieger from The Doors not long ago. And we we're talking about Light My Fire. 
is like, well, if I knew what it was, I would have written a hundred more. So <laughs> to say like, oh, I would write like that, you know, so what are those moments for you on this record? Like, are there a couple of lyrical stanzas where you're just like, all right, I need to write like that more often. I can't control it at all, but I want to. Yeah, I, uh, I really like the lyrics in uh, uh, The Big Picture. I'm really proud of those lyrics and same with, uh, with Mammoth as well. Um, but I mean, I'm proud. My, my main thing when it came to writing lyrics was I wanted to be able to like be proud of all of it and not like cringe, you know, or something. <laughs> and I, I, I succeeded in that, at least personally, like I'm comfortable and, and proud of all my lyrics. So it's interesting too. I talk about this with artists all the time as well. Right. And because, especially because I'm fascinated with this because the record was finished in 2018 and you ask most every artist, what's their favorite song? It's the most recent one they've done. Now, did you write it all during COVID or no? No, no, no. I, I wrote it between 2013 and, and 2015. No, I meant though, were you writing additional stuff going forward or did you just not? Oh, yeah, a little bit. I, I, was, I was writing, uh, you know, but at a certain point, you know, life got in the way and it just, I kind of lost that creative, you know, it just, things just got bleak, you know, so. No, totally understandable. But the reason I ask is it's interesting because as you go back then and revisit older material and then look at the newer material, I talk about this with artists all the time. And what happens is every artist, of course, always wants to do their best, but you hit upon these moments. Like you say, you'll hear lyrics in there where you're like, oh, that's really cool. Did I write that? And so then you use those as the building blocks trying to go forward. So have you noticed going forward, are there sort of certain things that have become the building blocks and this could also actually apply to sound as well. Yeah, I think uh, I've just kind of locked into into how I into my comfort zone and how I write music. Usually, just kind of starts with something on guitar, and I, you know, I, I put it into Logic, and I just slowly start building upon that. But usually, it just originates with with something as simple as just a little riff, uh, and then you just kind of, if it's enough to creatively inspire you, it just kind of snowballs. Well, now let's come on to the sound of the record as well. And one of the things I really love about it is that it has a build, that it just keeps going. And then you get to Stone, which to me was by far the heaviest song on the record. Mm-hmm. And it's the heaviest song in a different way than, you know, maybe it's not like the fastest song, but there's sort of this like, just, <laughs> I don't know, like sort of methodical, like just aggression that comes through it. The whole time. So it's interesting for you. Was that a very intentional thing in the sequencing that you wanted this to build and you wanted to make it this like just sort of keep going forward? Yeah, Stone was certainly this kind of uh, epic finale that I always kind of, uh, you know, because it's the longest song. It's like six and a half minutes. And and uh, it certainly was from the start this like it just it was as it was happening, it just seemed more and more like this epic finale. So it seemed like the right thing to do to put at the end of the album sequencing it just flowed right all right so now is this gonna be the closer for the show too not that i want to ruin the surprise but uh, i really like that that'd be a good idea actually i haven't i haven't really even thought about that yet shit i gotta make a set list <laughs> <laughs> when does the tour actually start uh july 31st is the first show okay it's i mean can you picture yourself sort of you know, in that place of, of being on stage. Okay, so what was your first experience seeing Guns N' Roses, by the way? I assume you've seen them over the years as well. I have not seen them. I've only seen Slash uh, uh, solo live like maybe two or three times. Interesting. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited as a fan to be able to see it. <laughs> All right, so what are the one or two songs that, okay, 
this won't happen. But, you know, well, I don't actually, I shouldn't say shit. I don't know what'll happen or not. But what would be the one or two GNR songs that you would want to jam on just as a fan? Oh, man. Uh, what, if they asked, I would, I, it wouldn't matter what song. <laughs> anything from Appetite, I guess. I don't know. Uh, anything from Appetite? Yeah. All right. It's interesting for you. I mean, as you, like you say, it's over. It's hard to picture getting back up there because until it happens, yeah, it's hard to know. But I mean, also, is it something that for you that, you know, it becomes sort of a, I, I mean, when you get on stage and you're in front of 50,000 people, and especially since like we talked about, you've done it before. So it maybe is a different set of nerves. You know, does it become a cathartic release as well? Is it something that you are just excited for in terms of that ability to just, I, like I said, does it become a release for you? Yeah, it's a whole bunch of different emotions all at once that I'm quite, I'm not even sure how uh, I'll, I'll react, uh, you know, just from the amount of time I've, I've, I've worked on this and to have it be coming out soon and, and, and just to, to be on the other side of, of everything COVID and, and yeah, there's just so many different things that I honestly don't know how I'll, I'll react. <laughs> All right. So it's nerves. I assume it's also excitement. Yeah, definitely. It's just a big ball of motion. All right. Well, we talked about specific songs on the record. You're really excited to play live, but it's interesting too, because I imagine, so you start with this tour, right? And then I, well, at some point, will you do the own tour at which point you'll actually get to do, more of the music? Do you know what the future plans are? And if so, you know, talk about the sort of the idea of being able to bring this into a smaller venue. And because it's interesting as well, as I think about this, you obviously went straight into playing the fucking forum in Madison Square Garden. And I saw you guys at, what the hell's the venue in Philly? I can't remember the name anymore. Oh man. Because uh, they all have different names now. Yeah, it was in like the Wells Fargo Arena or something or, uh, it's so funny. I was listening to an old Springsteen concert on Sirius yesterday from the first week that he played Staples and he was fucking with it. And he's like, well, you know, I kept looking all week to see who Mr. Staples was. <laughs> so it becomes hard to remember the names. But the point of all this is, is you went straight into playing to 20,000 people. So is there an excitement at the idea of now taking it back into playing for a thousand people or 2000 people or playing the Palladium here in LA, for example? Yeah, I don't think there's much of a difference, uh, at least in my opinion. As long as you know there's there there's people there to enjoy it and and have a good time, you know, I'll play for two people or two hundred or two thousand. You know, it doesn't matter to me. It's just uh, I love playing music. Uh, now, when you think of the idea of great frontman, because now, like we talked about, this is different too. You're in the frontman position. Mm-hmm. Are there one or two that you recall seeing over the years as a fan that just sort of you know, now that you get to do it, take you into the idea of being frontman or that have inspired you. And obviously you worked with a great one, uh, a unique one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, he's, he's not someone I'm, I'm particularly going to emulate though. Uh, I, I don't I, think anyone I'm, quite can. I'm hoping just to kind of find uh, my own space throughout, uh, you know, cause you can't really figure out who you are until you, until you do it. So, uh, uh, but yeah, I uh, yeah, it's funny when it comes to just like singing in general. I, I, you know, I'm I'm big fans of many different singers, but I've been singing uh, my whole life that I I don't really try to emulate or, or like I guess I'm just kind of trying to 
I guess I'm just hoping that I'll figure out how to do it once I start doing it. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It's not necessarily emulate, but people that you look at as inspiration or just that you think back to watching that you just simply enjoyed watching. And of course, this comes back to what I was talking about with writing is then it does become subconscious. So you think about, you know, I guess that's another thing too is, you know, you mentioned Jimmy World and you mentioned the expectations. I think a lot of people are going to have expectations that you're going to say it's going to be, you know, I don't fucking know, Robert Plant or Steven Tyler or whoever the fuck it is in the metal world. But maybe it's in the hard rock world but, you know, obviously you have your own influences, your own things you've seen, your own inspirations. And it's funny because, I mean, you know, just as a, a music fan, having talked to you, I can see you being influenced by George Michael or Sly Stone or Prince just as much yeah. as any of the hard rock vocalists. Yeah, I guess I'm a big fan of like uh, Maynard from Tool. I like how he just kind of, I don't know. I just, I like his style a lot and he's just fun to watch live. Is there a favorite show you've ever seen? Um, I mean, that uh, the Tool show I went to uh, at the end of 2019 was a really special one. I really enjoyed that one. All right. So for you... Mm. Sorry, my phone is just annoying the crap out of me right now. For you, and we'll wrap up on this, but it's when you now get to finish these shows, right? And you now being in the position that, like we talked about, being a front person is very different. You know, you're delivering to a crowd what would be the one or two coolest things that, you know, when you think back to that tool show in 2019, and obviously it's special to you for a variety of reasons, but strictly from a music standpoint, when fans are watching your show, what's the coolest thing that you want to hear people say when it's done? Like what would be the biggest compliment? I just that they enjoyed it. <laughs> I think that's just, <laughs> mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not picky if, if, if they're happy and they enjoy it. Uh, I think uh, that's all you can really ask for. Cool. I feel like we covered a lot, but I don't know. It's, uh, is there anything that you want to add we didn't talk? I mean, I guess, you know, the only other thing I would ask is, you know, when you go back and listen to this record as a whole, what do you take from it? And when you go back and listen to everything together, because especially like we say, it's been a couple of years now and you've had so many changes in your life since then. What do you take from this record when you go back and listen to it as a whole work? Uh, I, I, I've never been this proud of anything in my life. I've, I, I, I've never worked harder on anything in my life. And, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm very proud that I was able to, to pull this off and, and, uh, make a cohesive thing, you know, playing it all on my own. It's probably the last question, but do you, when you go back and hear this, cause I'm always fascinated with this from the subconscious standpoint, you know, when you're making a record, right, you're in the midst of it. It's hard to sort of take everything in. Do you go back, when you go back and listen to this, do you hear a through line through there? Yeah, there's certainly moments. I, I think that's what, what was so helpful about having uh, my producer, Elvis Bascad. He, he kind of helped me, uh, you know, because yeah, like you said, it's like when you're, when you're doing it, you can't really see the forest for the trees. But, but having him there really helped me, helped direct me and make sure I was going in the right direction. So uh but yeah, I can I could definitely hear that thought process throughout the record and everything, and just remember how things were realized sometimes last minute in the studio. So, is there like a th when I say through line, is there a theme that you hear going through it? Like, is there one sort of central theme that you hear? I mean, it's not a, a concept album if, in any way. It's just kind of uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's more just 
just me being myself, a hundred percent. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of artists will tell you, of course, a record is is snapshot of where they are at that point in time, anyway. Mm-hmm. So that does make sense. Yeah, it's just really uh, wanting to to be myself. I think is probably the, just the main thing. Well, I mean, I know we got to wrap up, but that's such an interesting thing too, because obviously, you know, and I think you and I talked about this last time. When you go through personal trauma, it changes who you are, and it it forces you to sort of find out more who you are and figure out who that is. So it's interesting. I mean, you know, do you feel like you have a, as you put this out, do you feel like you have a better sense of self? I mean, unfortunately, as we talked about this last time, you know, I lost my mom a couple of years ago. It just forces you to grow up. So do you feel like now you do have a, a like a, a different sense of self, I guess? Sure. I think, you know, uh, a lot of things throughout, you know, y- your life change you, but overall, I feel like I'm still the same person. Just, uh, I've just been uh, bumped and bruised <laughs> throughout time, but you kind of, it makes you stronger. Well, that's what I was also getting at. It's funny. I actually bought tickets, which I never, ever do <laughs> for the pit. So I, you know, I will be in there. I'm looking forward to, to that release. And so what's that, what's that, uh, you know, cause the other thing about this too, and, and, but it's so funny because I've talked about this with so many artists, right? There's that first feeling of being back out in the adrenaline rush after a year and a half of not playing because of COVID. So what for you is the opening note? I don't know. Like you said, you haven't worked out a set list yet, but so maybe it's not even the opening note, but what is that one that when you hit the stage July 31st, where's the show anyway, July 31st? Uh, Hershey. Hershey. Very nice. So when you hit the stage July 31st in Hershey, Pennsylvania, what, what, you know, and and like you have 50,000 people there who have been so pent up for a year and a half and are just so ready to scream and lose their shit at anything. What's the opening note? I really don't know. I guess I got to write that set list. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool dude. Anything you want to add we didn't talk about? No, man, that was great. If if you're happy, man, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah. No pleasure catching up. And uh, I look forward to seeing the show because it's, you know, we can keep talking about music till we're blue in the face, but when you actually get to see it, absolutely, it's a very different thing. Cool, dude. Congratulations on the record, and uh, I will see you in LA and uh, whatever the fuck that show is. It's sometime in August, I think. Yeah, cool, dude. Thanks so much, man. Have a good one. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with Wolfgang Van Halen. Thanks. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because our Sleep Number 360 smart bed is really smart. It senses your movement and automatically adjusts to help keep you both comfortable. Plus, it's temperature balancing so you stay cool. It's even smart enough to know exactly how long, how well, and when you slept. And to help you get almost 30 minutes more restful sleep per night. Sleep Number takes care of the science. All you have to do is sleep. And now, during our Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition smart bed Queen now only $19.99. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. When it comes to LASIK, Dr. Boutros and the Eye Center have led the way for the past 25 years. 
Today, this tradition continues by being one of the few practices in the country to offer you iDesign 2.0, using the same technology as the NASA James Webb Telescope. And in the hands of an elite surgeon like Dr. Boutros, more patients are seeing 2020 or better after LASIK. Right now, enjoy 20% off iLASIK with iDesign. Go to theicenter.com or call 888-844-2020. Some restrictions apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.